I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. How are you doing? Hope you're well. Uh, we're here to look back on Sporting Lisbon 2, Arsenal 2. Uh, that game finished around about half an hour ago at the time of recording. So I wanted to jump on and get this podcast recorded and out to you guys as quick as possible. And I've got to be honest, I kind of got mixed feelings around how tonight went. Um, on the one hand, you know, you're looking at it as a trip away from home against a decent side. You concede a couple of goals, a couple of really sloppy goals that, you know, under normal circumstances or ordinarily maybe, or maybe even a year or two ago, Arsenal get punished for that and Arsenal end up with a mountain to climb in the second leg. But instead, despite being very lapsed at the back at times, despite lacking a bit of rhythm, and we'll come on to the reasons for that, we managed to get away with a draw. We managed to get away with a positive result. And we managed to get away with a result that I'm very confident we can uh, build on and then progress uh, in the competition from uh, at Emirates Stadium next week. So, look, we've got a lot to get into. We're going to talk about the team selection. We're going to talk about Jakub Kivior, for example, playing his first game for Arsenal, the first opportunity we got to have a good look at him. Uh, we're going to be talking about Mikel Arteta's rotation. Uh, did it really work? Was it a bit like what we saw in the group stages where, you know, we had, um, you know, a, a mixture? Uh, it was sort of five, six changes. It was six changes tonight. And did that really disrupt the rhythm? And does it kind of shine a light again on the fact that this squad is maybe not big enough uh, to... Um, to compete on multiple fronts at this moment in time. And maybe we do need to prioritise a little bit more. And maybe we will as this competition goes on. It's, it's going to be really difficult because if you're Mikel Arteta, as the tournament goes on and progresses, you're going to feel like you're closer to winning it. Therefore, it would feel silly to let it go at that point, having come so far. But by that same token, if you're getting closer and closer to winning potentially a Premier League title, you're going to have to think about that as well. So, it's going to be really, really interesting to see how this plays out and how Mikel Arteta manages uh, all of this sort of moving forward. So I mentioned uh, that Mikel made six changes this evening. Um, six changes to the side that started the game, of course, at the weekend against Bournemouth. Uh, the starting 11 that he named, I'll just bring it up on the screen for those of you watching us on YouTube right now. If you're listening on podcast format, then don't worry, I'm going to take you through it. Uh, but it was Matt Turner in goal. I expected that. Ben White played it right back. And I think Ben White, well, I, I might have left Ben White out, if I'm honest. I might have played Tomiyasu at right back. And if Mikel Arteta felt that it was fine to play Zinchenko in Tierney's absence, Tierney was obviously unavailable this evening, as was Martin Odegaard through illness. But we understand he should be okay for the weekend. And I think we missed him, you know, I think we missed that bit of creativity when he's not in the side. That's not to take away from Fabio Vieira's performance, but we'll come on to talk about that as well uh, a little bit later on. So Turner was the goalkeeper. White, Saliba, Kivior and Zinchenko were the back four. I didn't expect Jakub Kivior to start tonight. I said to you guys on the preview show that I thought um, he'd be coming in cold. I thought he would, you know, I thought it would represent a bit of a risk 
if Mikel Arteta threw him in today because, of course, uh, you know, he hasn't played for Arsenal yet. Uh, William Saliba gave an interview post-match in which he talked about the fact that, yes, they've trained together as they would, being in the same squad, in the same setup, etc. But it's not the same as in-game experience. And um, and so when I saw his name on the team sheet, I was pleased because it meant that we were going to get to have a good look at Jakub Kivior for the first time in Arsenal colours. But at the same time, there was a little part of me that went, hmm, how's this going to go? And, you know, we'll do his performance in a minute, but let's just put it this way. It showed that he had come in cold, I think, anyway. And I think I was justified in the preview show in saying that there was a bit of a risk in doing this and that it may not work and this may not be the place uh, to go out and throw Jakob Kivior into the mix for the first time. But anyway, moving into midfield, it was pretty much the midfield I expected. Uh, Fabio Vieira, Jorginho and Granit Xhaka. Of course, Jorginho fresh, didn't play at the weekend. Granit Xhaka only played a little while at the end. Fabio Vieira did play, but he hasn't had a lot of minutes this term. So uh, there was no concerns really about him in terms of his fatigue. I wondered if Emil Smith-Rowe was going to start, but it looked like uh, from Mikel Arteta's point of view, he wasn't quite fit enough perhaps, or certainly couldn't be trusted to have the impact of Bukayo Saka. Mikel wanted to have at least two uh, of his first choice front three uh, in the side today. Reese Nelson, obviously off the back of that big moment against Bournemouth, given the nod today and rightly so. Um, and, and maybe you'd have seen a bit more rotation had Trossard been available, had Nketiah been available, etc., etc. So we've got a few problems in a few areas at the moment. And that has hindered Mikel Arteta in terms of what he was able to do in, in, in terms of rotation. But having said that, We've talked all along this season and all throughout this tournament this season about the fact that Mikel Arteta is a big believer in momentum and wasn't going to make nine, ten changes. That was never going to be the case. It was always going to be five or six in order to try and keep some semblance of what's worked well for Arsenal so far this season. But within a few minutes of watching the game, so certainly within the first 10 minutes, this reminded me of all of those Europa League group stage games. Really slow tempoed, not enough penetration, not moving the ball anywhere near quickly enough. And that lack of rhythm, I think, is down to the changes, is down to the fact that we, we've taken out some of the most important components of our team uh, in order to replace them with fringe players to try and, um, and, and rest people. And a lot of the time in this competition, as we saw today, even if you don't play that well in certain stages, even when you do give cheap goals away, you still have an opportunity to turn things around and you will still get chances and you can almost crawl over the line. And it felt like that was what we did today in terms of getting the draw. After that first 10 minutes, I started to see some really encouraging signs, though. I thought Arsenal just started to get a bit more control in the game. They were moving the ball that little bit quicker. You could see that attacking shape that Mikel Arteta's side have become uh, renowned for this season, where we kind of push into having a front five at times. Jorginho high up the pitch, trying to dictate things. Zinchenko tucked in alongside him. I thought we looked a lot better at that point. And then we get the goal on 22 minutes. Fabio Vieira's delivery in from the right-hand side from a corner, met by William Saliba, who heads home. And Arsenal are in front, and you think, happy days. And between then... And I think it was the 34th, 35th minute 
uh, when Sporting equalised, you felt like Arsenal were going to go on and, and win this comfortably. You felt like Arsenal had been able to keep Sporting at an arm's length. And I talked about, in the build-up to this game, I talked about some of their attacking players. I talked about, um, you know, Paulinho. I talked about uh, Marcus Edwards. I talked about Trincao and what he can do. Uh, Pedro Gonzalez, we talked about him as well. And um, and so I knew, and I think a lot of us knew, that Sporting did have that within them, that ability within them to be able to cause us problems, to be able to get forward, to be able to build attacks. And they had a goal in them. You know, they had a goal in them. They're not a bad side. They're a good side. I've said it all along. Yes, their league position so far this season isn't great but they still have a lot of talent within that squad. And you go away from home in a European tie, you cannot expect an easy ride. And it just felt to me like having come through that first 10-minute period where maybe Arsenal were a little bit complacent, a little bit slow, a little bit um, below the kind of level that we know they can be at, having come through that period and got our noses in front, but also started to play a lot better, you felt like this game was only going in one direction. and then. Arsenal concede a really, really cheap goal. Really cheap goal. And there's a couple of people at fault for this goal. Um, you can split the fault, I think, equally between Matt Turner and Jakub Kivior. Because for me, when the, the ball is met by an attacker inside the six-yard box, as close to goal as that, you've got to look at the goalkeeper first and foremost as to why he hasn't come out to claim it. And then you've got to look at why Jakub Kivior doesn't attack the ball. Is there a bit of miscommunication there? Is there a bit of, is there something lacking in terms of the relationship there between the goalkeeper and the centre-back? Probably. They haven't played together before. It's not something that's completely unusual. And again, it's why I wondered if Mikel Arteta was going to throw Kivior in. As for Turner, it's a weird one with Matt Turner because the more I watch him, the more I think this guy is a good shot stopper. You know, he made a fantastic save in the first half down to his left. He's able to get to things. He's agile. He's, he's got a strong arm. He's able to get down and keep things out. But when he's got the ball at his feet, he looks so, so uncomfortable. And it just makes me wonder every time I see him play, why did Arsenal go out and sign Matt Turner? Now, I'm not meaning this in a derogatory way. I'm not seeking to, you know, badmouth the player because I think he's a decent enough goalkeeper. But stylistically, he's so different to Aaron Ramsdale. It makes me wonder how Arsenal, A, identified him and why they decided to go and pull the trigger on this player. Because he just, for me, doesn't quite fit. And that might be harsh in a lot of people's eyes. That might be uh, me being a little bit reactionary because I think um, he certainly should do better for the first goal. And he had a moment where he sort of, played the ball in towards, I think it was Kivior, who just wasn't aware of the man closing him down. That almost led to a second from Sporting before the second actually came. And the more I think about it, the more I just I just don't understand how this made sense to anybody looking at it. Um, I always say that when it comes to transfers, there's always an element of risk and you don't always know what you're getting. Not 100% anyway, until that player turns up, trains with you day in, day out, and then goes out and... Um, and, uh, and and sort of represents your side on a match day and in match day situations. So I'm not saying that, you know, this is an unforgivable crime, but it just, to me, when I look at Matt Turner, I look at his attributes, I look at what 
Aaron Ramsdale's key attributes are and how they've helped the team. And I just can't see where the correlation comes from. I just can't see um, how, if you think Ramsdale is the answer, you also think that Matt Turner is as well. And you also think that Matt Turner is a good solution in the event that Ramsdale's not available or isn't playing. I, I don't know. Uh, Stan the Man says Turner is American. Uh, my guess uh, is that uh, there was marketing in mind. See, I would have said this if we were talking about a US player 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I genuinely would have said this. I'm not ashamed to say it. I would have said something along those lines. And whilst I think there's an element of that to it, um, as I think there is when you sign players from lots of countries, I think when you go and sign a Japanese player, you are um, not just getting a good footballer. Hopefully you're getting access to a big market. When Tottenham signed Song Hyung Min, uh, you know, good footballer, but obviously uh, the other benefit is that he gives them access and a relationship with a very, very strong market. You go and sign an Australian player, you sign a Brazilian player, you sign a German player. It's all the same, but there are certain markets in football that are a little bit untapped and you feel like if you can get into them via perhaps purchasing a player, yeah, you can get huge uh, financial gain. But yeah, I mean, I don't want to say that about Turner because I don't want to say that's the sole reason they signed Turner because that would be disrespectful because I, I don't know, um, you know, but he just, yeah, for me, he just he just doesn't quite fit. And then after a positive start, I thought, to the second half, 10 minutes in, we find ourselves behind. Paulinho with the goal. Now, Matt Turner has been blamed for this one as well, just sort of based on what I've seen on social media post-match. And I think that's incredibly harsh. Um, you know, I, I don't think Matt Turner is a great fit. As I've said, I do worry when he has the ball at his feet. I do worry when we ask him to do certain things. But when you make an instinctive save like he did from the initial shot down to your right-hand side, the super critics will say he shouldn't parry it into a dangerous area that he should parry the ball wide of the goal and that will uh, prevent anybody coming in, having an easy angle from which to convert. But to those people, I'd say this. When you are focused 100% on getting down to a shot of that ferocity from that distance, from that angle, the you're not thinking past that. So when goalkeepers do get down and make that save and parry it wide, that's more by coincidence than it is the goalkeeper thinking as he's on his way down, oh my God, I've got to parry this into a certain area. Now, there will be shots that goalkeepers see coming from a long way that they have to get across to. And in those moments and in those scenarios, maybe they do have time to think about how they're going to approach the ball so that they can parry it into a less dangerous area, but not in that instance. And it just happens that the ball dropped right in between the two Arsenal defenders that were back there and Paulinho was there. Uh, to pounce. Then um, Martinelli has that incredible run, doesn't he, as well, um, which was almost reminiscent of that run and goal that he scored at Chelsea a few years ago. And you're thinking there, come on, get back on it. And what a boost, confidence boost that would be for Gabriel Martinelli. But he takes a slightly heavy touch, I think, around the goalkeeper. And um, and uh, that just allows the defender to get back and and unfortunately it doesn't culminate to anything for us. Uh, so, yeah, you know, uh, there there were some regrets. Uh, Paulinho also had another chance, didn't he? I can't remember if it was just before the Martinelli run or just after, but he sort of got through on goal 
um, and he blazed it over the bar. It was a terrible, terrible miss, a real opportunity uh, there for Sporting to have potentially put at least the first leg to bed with a 3-1 lead. Um, and they've given themselves a really good chance going going back to Emirates Stadium uh, next week. Arsenal did find the equaliser, though. Um, it was a, a granite Xhaka cross, which took a deflection off of Morita uh, and wrong-footed Adan in the Sporting Lisbon goal. He made some fantastic saves. He's a massive man-child, though, isn't he? He was whinging, he was moaning, he was complaining. You name it, he was at it. But he did make a couple of really key saves for Sporting today, I thought. Um, and contributed to them uh, getting the result that they did. They are going to be without Quartes and Morita uh, for the second leg. That's a blow for them, two important players to them. Although Ugarte, the uh, Uruguayan midfielder, is expected to be back uh, in time for that one. So positive is that we went away from home. We didn't play very well. We half rotated, but we come back to London with a result that does put us in a good position going into the second leg. Like you do back Arsenal to beat this sporting side at Emirates Stadium in front of our own fans and book our place in the last eight. Okay, you you would have that confidence. If we lost the game, then you're looking at it a little bit differently. Remember, away goals do not come into it uh, this season. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Which is something I personally am struggling to get my head around. I have to be honest with you, just because I'm so used to, you know, when you score a goal away from home in Europe, sort of celebrating it with an extra bit of zealous because of what you believe to be the greatest significance. But that is obviously not the case anymore. So remember that uh, going forward. But in terms of the negatives, I didn't think Kivior had a great start, uh, great start, great start to life in an Arsenal shirt. I thought it was a bit of a baptism of fire going away to Sporting, who I talked about in the build-up are a very good attack inside. Might not be the most watertight defensively. I thought that the goals they conceded as well. Okay, the second one was incredibly unlucky, but the first was equally as bad defending as the defending that we displayed uh, when they, of course, found uh, their equalising goal. Uh, around about 34, 35 minutes in. So you can say what you like about them in that sense, but as an attacking force, I think they are quite dangerous. And I think, you know, they were a little bit cautious and a little bit reserved today. Uh, but certainly if the game state was one in which they uh, felt that they needed to throw the kitchen sink at it, I think that you will struggle to live with them at certain points and at certain times in games. So, um the positive is that we didn't play that for, that well, yet we go back to London with a good result. The negative is, is that Saka, Martinelli, White, Saliba and Xhaka all played a full 90 minutes 
before what's going to be a very, very difficult trip to Craven Cottage on Sunday. So that's the negative. There is a drawback here tonight. There absolutely is that. And because of the game state and because we were never in a position where Mikel Arteta felt we were comfortable and we were never, or we certainly weren't in a winning position going into the last 30 to 35 minutes, we couldn't make the changes. We couldn't, um, you know, take some of those lads off. In fact, we had to bring on more uh, of the kind of uh, the first choice side. We had to bring on uh, Thomas Partey. We had to bring on Gabriel. Uh, just to kind of manage the game. Tommy Asu, okay, that's fine, comes on to replace Zinchenko. But we had to make changes to kind of give us any chance of going on and winning the game. And I don't criticise Mikel for wanting to go on and win the game because if he wins the game, all of a sudden, the team that he can pick next Thursday might look slightly different. But because he hasn't won the game and it is very finely balanced, he now has to think or approach the second leg perhaps in a slightly different way. He might have wanted to make six changes that day. He might only be able to make four now. You know, he, it's there's, there's small details, small differences in how things go and, and the position that you find yourself in can dictate to the manager how to approach a game of football. And, and Mikel's got a really difficult period coming now because he's got to find that balance between making sure we're fresh and competitive in the Premier League but also making sure that we're good enough to continue our journey in this competition. At some point, he may come to a crossroads. At some point, he may have to make a decision one way or the other. Now, he'll never say that publicly. He always talks about the fact that when you play for this club, yes, you have to play three days, uh, every sort of three days. You have to be committed. You have to always be ready. That's just the way it goes. But he will know deep down that he just doesn't quite have the depth right now to be able to navigate both, I don't think, without losing something somewhere along the line, uh, whether that be intensity, whether that be rhythm, because you're making multiple changes week in, week out. There's a lot of things that come into play here. The other negatives are that we're making silly mistakes defensively um, and we continue to look vulnerable from set pieces. Now, at the start of the season, that wasn't even a thing. Obviously, tonight you're looking at Matt Turner and Jakob Kivio for the first goal and you're thinking, OK, do I really want to kind of go too big on this considering that they are not two starters? They are not two players that would normally be in the team uh, or would be in the Premier League team, should we put it like that? Does that mean that you can just brush it under the carpet and move on from it? Maybe, maybe it does. But at the same time, We've seen it over the last few weeks. We've seen that vulnerability defensively creeping back in. And that, you don't win titles by leaking goals. You don't win European Cup competitions by leaking cheap goals. So that is something that we really, really do need to fix. Let's talk about some of the individuals. I've touched on Matt Turner, so I'm not going to go back over that. I, You know, when we signed Matt Turner, I wasn't massively enthused by it. I've had my say on him before. I think he's a great shot stopper. Um, I'd back him when balls are flying towards goal to, to pull off the stops. But I don't back him with the ball at his feet. And I'm not sure that he... I, I mean, is it down to a lack of confidence? Is it down to rustiness because he's not played a game since, what, January? Maybe. But I just, I, I just I look at him and he looks to me a bit like a square peg that we're trying to put into a round hole. And... And it frustrates me 
And it makes me always go back to the source, which was the decision to sign him or to the beginning, if you like. And it always begs me to ask the question, what was it that Arsenal saw in Matt Turner that made them think he could come in and be the deputy to Aaron Ramsdale? Now, I know, like somebody said in the chat earlier on, I think this is an absolutely valid point that you're not always going to be able to find elite level players who will be happy playing second fiddle. I get that. But what you can find is similar players stylistically. And if you are big on a style like Mikel Arteta is, then surely that is right at the top of your criteria list when you are searching for players. The Matt Turner one, though, it doesn't make sense. When we first signed him and I spoke to people about him, people that cover the MLS, the, the constant thing that people said to me was, I don't understand why Arsenal have gone for him because he isn't particularly comfortable with the ball at his feet. And and ever since then, I've watched him closely. He looks nervous. He looks shaky. He wants to play out from the back because clearly that's what he's been instructed to do. But he just makes rash decisions, probably because of his desperation to impress. And equally, because maybe he doesn't have the reading or understanding of the game in the way that Aaron Ramsdale does to know when to play the pass, when not to play the pass. But having said that, even Aaron Ramsdale at times gives us heart attacks, doesn't he? So it's a difficult one. Jakob Kivior, I touched on it again already, but we'll go into it in a little bit more detail now. He's poor. Well, I don't want to say he's poor. That's not fair. He was poor today. Um, gave the ball away or threatened to give the ball away a couple of times uh, in the first period. There was one really silly pass uh, that he played across the back line. And I think, I can't remember if it was um, Saliba or White had to just smash the ball out into touch because they were under pressure because Kivior had put them there. I don't think that the pass from Matt Turner into him inside the penalty area when, um, or just shortly after Sporting's uh, equalising goal, I didn't think that was a good pass uh, from Matt Turner. But Jakob Kivior still, for me, has to protect the ball better. He certainly didn't cover himself in glory when the cross came in uh, for Sporting's equalising goal. So there are still things for me that he needs to prove. Um, and again, I'll, I'll go back to the preview show. It's why I wasn't sure if he was going to uh, be thrown straight in. He was thrown straight in. Mikel Arteta said pre-match that he trusts all of his players. Will he still trust Jakob Kivior moving forward? Harsh to judge him. Um, at this stage in his Arsenal career, it's very early. It's his first game. Said to you guys before the game, I thought it was a tough game for anybody to come into. And I stick by that. But it wasn't the type of performance from Jakob Kivior that has me coming away thinking, you know what? We got ourselves a bit of a player here. Into midfield, um, Jorginho was Jorginho. Uh, a couple of times he was overrun, but we know that that happens with Jorginho. We know what his limitations are with regards to his mobility. So no real uh, concerns for me there, or no no new concerns is probably the way I should put it. Fabio Vieira, I thought, looked lively. Um, some really nice touches, some wonderful passes, great delivery in uh, to the penalty area for Saliba's goal. Um, and he had a, a really good effort in the second half, didn't he, where uh, it was dragged just wide, very little backlift, very little time to sort of set himself. When the ball came back to him, he, he dragged it just wide had a header towards goal as well. So encouragingly, he was getting into those really good positions, uh, taking up that half space area that Martin Odegaard normally uh, patrols. So he was given the opportunity to play there today. And I thought he did a decent job of that. And he's actually probably looked at his best in Arsenal colours. 
when he's played in that role. We've seen him a couple of times play the left-sided eight role. He did that at the weekend against Bournemouth and it wasn't quite the same. Uh, so if there's one takeaway from me tonight with regards to Fabio Vieira, it's probably that he is a right eight more than a left eight. Might sound trivial um, because he's a left-footed player like Odegaard, but it might sound trivial because the position's are quite similar, but I do think there is a little bit of a difference in terms of how comfortable he is coming in field so that he can have a shot and so that he can, um, you know, get a little bit more involved. Anyway, um, Bakayo Saka didn't look quite at it today, a little bit lively at times, but, um, you know, not the Bakayo Saka that we know is that Bakayo Saka personally managing himself a little bit. I don't know. Hard to say, isn't it? Um, Reese Nelson on the other side, I thought had moments where he sort of threatened to burst into life, took people on, got crosses into the box, but wasn't anywhere near as effective as he was at the weekend, which was a bit of a disappointment for me because I was looking for him uh, to come out today and, and really, um, really push on. Um, didn't really happen. Martinelli through the middle, incredibly hard working, puts himself about, should have scored a goal when he made that excellent burst in run forward, but it wasn't to be. But yeah, another sign that he's an, an option to lead our line. I still don't think he's the option, but he is someone that can um, that can do that uh, in the event that we desperately, desperately need him. So those are kind of my main takeaways from this game. I mean, I don't, like, aside from looking at the individual moments, i.e. the goals scored and the goals conceded, whereby you can find a lot of mistakes on both sides, there isn't really an awful lot to analyse here. I don't think we really learned any lessons about Arsenal. I think the most interesting thing was always going to be from when I saw the lineup, how Jakub Kivior would perform. And I don't want to say he failed the test, but he certainly didn't pass it with flying colours. Let's put it that way. Um, obviously not writing him off and I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. First game, I said myself, didn't I, constantly uh, in the preview that this was not really the kind of game I'd want to throw someone into because I, I quite rate sporting Lisbon. And believe me, this tie is not over. Believe me, they are capable of coming to Emirates Stadium and scoring goals. So we're going to have to be um, on it. We're going to have to be uh, concentrated. And we're going to have to tighten up defensively because at the moment we are just way too leaky when it comes to goals at the and, and sort of giving up chances as well, giving up really good, strong, clear opportunities. We've got to get better at that. We were so good at shutting people out in the first part of the season. And just in recent weeks, it's gone uh, a little bit array, hasn't it? So we'll have to see how that goes, but certainly something we've got to be mindful of and certainly something we've got to try and address. Um, but yeah, look, big second leg coming up. Focus has the shift to Fulham now. We'll be bringing you a preview show on the Fulham game uh, tomorrow, uh, late afternoon sort of time. So we'll be live and we'll be uh, discussing that one, which is a big, big game for the Arsenal, big game for Fulham as well. London Derby, of course. For now, Arsenal have to be able to just put this to one side, focus on Sunday's game, and we bring this back to the forefront of our minds once that game is out of the way. And hopefully we've got three points on the board from that. It's a really difficult thing for a manager, this, this kind of scenario, right? Because in the Champions League, when you're in the Champions League, you, you believe in the Champions League. The Champions League is the holy grail. Even when you are challenging for a Premier League title, there is very little room for the case that the Champions League is something you should throw away because of its prestige, because of its history, because of what it represents. It's Europe's 
premier competition. But with the Europa League, you're almost in this weird place where it's good enough for competition or prestigious enough for competition for you to feel like you need to give it some love and attention. But also when you compare it to the Premier League, it doesn't stack up. And so you can understand why Mikel is kind of stuck in this weird place where he's making five changes, six changes, as opposed to making nine, ten. The other thing is that the squad doesn't allow us to make nine, ten every single time without really seriously weakening it. I talked about the fact that I wanted to see a bit of balance in the team that he picked. And I think he's done that, but there's no doubt about it. And, you know, maybe I'd almost forgotten about it a little bit. I'd forgotten how drab and dull the group stages were at times because of those changes. But you fast forward to today and you see it again and it's you're very quickly reminded of why it doesn't really work and why we're kind of one of those teams where when we rotate, we know that we're seriously weakening ourselves and we know that or, or it shines a light on the fact that we do need a deeper, bigger squad ahead of next season where we should be in the Champions League and hopefully we'll be uh, in a competitive position in the Premier League again as well. But, you know, you you, you want to have a squad whereby you can make, you know, five or six changes, give your key players a rest, but your level doesn't completely go off the edge of a cliff. And I do think that right now it does go off the edge of a cliff and it's a big, big problem. A big, big problem. Look, guys, I'm going to leave it there. Um, absolutely shattered. It's been a really, really long day and I rushed home to to get back and watch this game, which I thought um, was one that might well go our way. I did predict the draw, didn't I? I predicted 1-1, though, not 2-2. Two, two. Uh, so I was right in terms of the result and the outcome, but not in terms of the scoreline. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, I'm going to leave it there because I'm shattered and we will be back tomorrow, as I say, for the preview and maybe... I'll have some more thoughts on this game. Wanted to bring you some instant reaction uh, to this one. But yeah, it just, for me, it's a mixture of frustration tonight, but also, I don't want to say happiness, because I'm not happy, but I'm content. So I'm content, but I'm frustrated at the same time, because I think it's a result that on paper is a respectable one. It's one that puts us in a good position in the tie. But... When we went 1-0 up, I thought we were in a position to really go on and cruise through the rest of the game. We didn't. We gave up a cheap goal, and that sparked the chain of events that put us in a position where we could have ended up losing this. And it's very quick. It's very sort of... Um, Got kicked out of my own stream. I don't know how that happened. Um, as I was saying, it's one of those um, it's one of those nights where you've got a, a bit, you've got mixed feelings. Basically, threw me off my trail of thought completely. An okay result, as Sko says, would have been nice to smash them and rest more players next week. But yep, it, it was fine away from home. We should go through no problem. I think that's a good way to sum up how I'm feeling about this one. Uh, thank you all so, so much for tuning in. I'll be back with you guys tomorrow. As I say, until then, uh, take care of yourselves and stay safe. All the best. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.